That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. We got another great show for you today with Iron Man, uh, Dr. Justin Gallant, naturopathic doctor. Uh, He's got a clinical practice in Hamilton. And we're super pumped to have him on because we're going to talk about iron today. And when you talk about iron, you talk about energy. Welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing well. And I it's a pleasure for me to play that role for helping everybody with their iron issues. You embrace the Iron Man title we've given you? I do. I love it. <laughs> have you ever been called Iron Man? I have. I have. Like okay. through students and stuff like that. I have a lot of <laughs> shadow, uh, preceptors that come in. We're going to get you a t-shirt. <laughs> That'd be great. So Iron Man, do you want to give us a little bit of intro about yourself? You can just make it about, uh, you know, how you became what you are. Uh, Just give people a little bit of feel for why we're here talking to you today. All right, I'll make this as short as possible. Uh, So when I was in high school, my grandmother lived with us and uh, she was getting sicker and sicker as time went on once uh, after she hit menopause. So she ended up having uh, jaundice, nausea, a lot of liver issues, and um, she went to her family doctor, and her family doctor kept accusing her, her of being an alcoholic, even though she didn't drink any alcohol at all. Uh, he literally told us that she was must be taking shots out of the closet behind our backs or whatever, like just wow. very close-minded, yeah. And uh, her generation, you wouldn't try to get a second opinion, you just kind of go with it, right? Right. And... Uh, yeah. So two weeks before she passed away from cirrhosis, she got a, a liver specialist who did the genetic testing for hemochromatosis, and she tested positive for that. Okay. So in hemochromatosis, it's in a genetic condition where you store too much iron, the opposite mm-hmm. of today's uh, topic. Um, you store too much iron, and then it basically gets into your organs and oxidizes, can cause diabetes, cirrhosis heart issues, Mm -hmm. lots of different stuff. And so while all that was going on, I felt like there needed to be some sort of second, educated second opinion that you could go to where the person will actually listen to you and get what diagnostics need to be done and not having to depend on some like gatekeeper of health who isn't taking anyone seriously. And um, so a couple of years down the road, I, I started at Brock University, my kinesiology degree, thinking I wanted to be a gym teacher. And then as I got into third year, my mom started to go down the exact same route as my grandmother. So she had fatty liver disease, pre-diabetic, joint pain. So she was heading into menopause and her symptoms were starting up. And so uh, she went to a different family doctor and he just ignored everything and said, blah, 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 just take metformin and... uh, be on your merry way. Mm. And fortunately, my mom was actually cleaning a multidisciplinary clinic where there was a naturopath. So she told that naturopath what was going on, cool. went to see her. And in the first visit, the naturopath took her family history and then did the proper testing for her iron, sent a request to get genetic testing done. And my mom tested positive for hemochromatosis and got it treated, which is just bloodletting or donating blood. And Mm -hmm. she's uh, already outlived my grandma by three years now. And uh, it helped everything, like brought her blood sugar back down, brought the cholesterol back down. So um, once all that stuff happened, I was like, holy crap, what the heck is a naturopathic doctor? (laughs) I I looked it up and doesn't speak too highly of us on Wikipedia, but I was like, you know what, I want (laughs) to... It does not. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I want to go see this naturopath because I was stressed out from university and just wanted to kind of see what she was all about. And uh, she really helped me out with like nutrition and proper supplements and 
And then I decided to take the plunge into CCNM and become a naturopathic doctor. And then in first year, I realized that I have hemochromatosis as well. Uh, so you're literally Iron Man. I am. I am full of iron. Um, and I had been going to the head of family medicine at North York General, and she basically told me I was stressed and depressed, and that's what was causing my symptoms because I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and it was like first year we had anatomy, I think, every single morning, and I couldn't make it. Um, and I believed her to a certain extent until – I, we had a family dinner and my uncle who also has hemochromatosis was saying that he can't run marathons if his iron's really high. And he said he had really bad joint pain and couldn't get out of bed. And so I was like, wait a minute, maybe I should get my iron tested. And I got an intern or whatever we were called back then, intern, I think, at the RSNC attached to CCNM. And she tested my ferritin and it was up, I think like five, around 500. Wow. And um, so I went to my family doctor, and this is where I kind of learned a lot about Tableside Manor. I brought the results to her, and I said, I, I think I might have hemochromatosis. And then she said, well, I'll, I'll send you to a hematologist to get the genetic testing done. But there are other things that we have to rule out as well, given your symptoms and that ferritin is high. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, cancer. And so that for that three months, I was waiting for a hematologist. I basically, you know, Googled the crap out of it, thinking that I had cancer. And so I learned not to, you know, throw strong diagnoses out there without uh, having any evidence yeah. of, you know, doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I tested positive and I went for my uh, 13 phlebotomies in a row to get my iron levels down. And I've been feeling amazing since then. So... It was like the, what do you call that? The tin man getting his oil or whatever. And there, there's a there's a paradox there, interestingly enough, because one of you, your main symptom was fatigue. And that that's also the main symptom of iron deficiency. That's right. And they say uh, symptom, symptoms of an excess can mimic a deficiency, right? Mm-hmm. So that's let so so you got your energy back, which was probably required to get through the naturopathic medical degree and board exams. Invariably, you've you probably or I guess you see quite a few uh, patients with with various types of struggling with energy and iron. So, what are the who are the patients walking in your door? What's their story? The main things that I see coming in are chronic fatigue. Um, they maybe had an iron deficiency in the past, but they're told that they don't have an iron deficiency anymore. And we'll get more into that talking about the reference ranges. Uh-huh. They usually have a lot of hair loss, uh, no motivation to do anything. They feel cold all the time, low blood pressure. And they'll usually have started a lot of those symptoms um, after having a baby. Right. So, I want to talk about maybe the difference between what you learned or knew about uh, iron and anemia and hemochromatosis too. It's all iron. It's excess or deficiency. Mm -hmm. But I feel like only after nine or 10 years of practice, do I understand absolutely, well, not absolutely, but better understand how critical iron is to so much more than what I learned in school. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the biggest flaws in schooling uh, and on the Western medical side is that they think iron doesn't matter unless your hemoglobin is low. And that could be further from the truth. Um, I just started treating like if I saw the symptoms of an iron deficiency and the ferritin was below an 80, I would treat it. And then I've been getting patients coming back over and over again, just like unbelievably surprised how much energy they had and they didn't think they could ever have that much energy. And they thought they were just basically worn out from being a mom of a couple kids. Mm -hmm. And then once their energy levels come up, they're like, Oh my God, I didn't realize I could have this much energy. Um, So I, I don't know. I don't feel like it was emphasized enough in school. And I think that was more of a clinical experience type thing that uh, has led us to be treating it a lot better than what the family doctors are doing. 
there's also a very low bar set for what we what conventionally is accepted as 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 normal iron. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like the ferritin reference range uh, with Life Labs is five to two hundred and seventy two, which is just crazy. Uh, and it's bounced around quite a bit. Like when I first started practicing, I think it was thirty to three thirty. But yeah. we have to understand that those reference ranges are just based on stats. They don't have anything to do with how you feel or how the people who got mm-hmm. tested feel. It's just 95% of people fall within that range. But if you think 90% of that 95% are iron deficient, it's going to bring the reference range down a lot, right? Of course. So yeah, I try to get people to stay between 80 to 150. And usually that's when uh, patients feel the best. And do you find your patients are coming to you after seeing a medical doctor? Definitely. Yeah. They'll go to their family doctor, same type of thing. They'll be diagnosed with say depression because they're super tired and they have no motivation. And then I'll say, well, let's, you know, let's rule out any biochemical causes of, we'll call it depression or fatigue. And then boom, all of a sudden it comes back and their ferritin is at like a 20 or a 30. And then we get it up and within a month, they're feeling like they have way more energy and they're not depressed. And well, We'll call it low motivation. Their motivation comes back up. Yeah, and are they coming in with ferritin testing being done by the doctor, or are you usually running the ferritin testing? Yeah, I'd say it's 50-50. I do get a lot who come in. They all always ask them to bring a copy of their most recent blood work, or I'll uh, do a release of records to get a copy of what was most recently done. And yeah, their family doctor will test it, and it'll be like, even I've seen it as low as like a 13, and no one said anything to them because it wasn't flagged low. Yeah, that's when I get often of patients saying, oh, my doctor said my iron's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. And uh, it's so critical to like motivation. You've brought this word up, motivation, a few times, and I see a link between like energy, what like biochemical energy, and psychological motivation. If we don't have these things, then you can't start change because change takes energy and motivation. So I just see iron is so critical to further changes. Maybe uh, can you comment how things change when you help someone with their iron? Does it lead to a progression of, you know, now they want to fix this or that? Yeah, it definitely uh, enables them to improve on so many different levels. Um, emotionally, if they're not feeling like they're depressed anymore, that's going to open them up to being able to start exercising again, which obviously we know is going to, you know, cause a a positive upward spiral. Um, one really important thing too, is that iron is important in the production of dopamine, which is a reward mechanism that has to do with Mm. motivation as well. Right. Right. And you have to think, so you have, we'll say a... 35-year-old woman who has had two kids, her iron or her ferritin is at like a 13. She's got no motivation. She's feeling depressed, which uh, on another side note, definitely has a lot to do with postpartum depression. No motivation to exercise. And then you have to think if she does push herself to exercise, A, she's going to be spreading herself too thin because she doesn't have that iron in her system to be giving her that energy. So she's giving it everything she's got already and then some. And then when she does finally exercise, she doesn't have the iron to, pr- to help oxygenate the tissue. So then she's got no stamina for when she is exercising and she's going to be sore, a lot more sore the next day. Like It's just a, a terrible recipe for trying to get better if your iron is low. What other systems may cause a similar negative spirals there? So I know iron has an effect on, on the thyroid. And as soon as that happens, that that has a downward spiral on hormones and gut and and motivation and things and like metabolism that. Metabolism and energy. Yeah, I know. Uh, are you? Do you see any other spirals that are? You know how this is all interconnected? Just to bring it out to a bigger picture. Yeah, I would say the other two main ones would be vitamin D deficiency and um, the thyroid for sure. The th- having hypothyroidism and iron deficiency. Uh, have very similar overlap in symptoms. So I have a lot of patients come in thinking that they'll have a thyroid issue. And then once we get the iron up, they feel a lot better. It's not always the case because there are a lot of thyroid issues out there, but there's definitely a lot of overlap there. Mm -hmm. And I see that too. um, when, When women have heavy periods, they're iron deficient 
that may be a contributor to thyroid um, hypothyroidism, or that's concurrently happening, um, which then can worsen heavy periods. That's right. And, and then uh, worsens on, the iron deficiency. That's right. And on top of that, when you're iron deficient, your blood is a lot thinner. So if you were to look at my blood, because my iron is high, it's like purple molasses, basically. It's terrible. <laughs> and then if you look at somebody who has an iron deficiency, it's like a bright reddish pink that's really thin. And so if you think about those heavy periods, some of them will go away with just supplementing with iron. Because if you're if you cut yourself, you'll bleed more if you have an iron deficiency. So if you have a period, you'll bleed more as well. But then when you bleed more, you bleed more iron out and it's this vicious cycle, right? Yeah, so this sounds like the risk of taking more iron. I'm just playing sort of devil's advocate here, what people might be hearing. It sounds like the risks of being low, if you're like a menstruating female, mm -hmm. uh, make it sort of like worth it to consider a trial of taking iron and see what happens to your symptoms. Is that roughly true or what are the dangers of maybe doing that well these days i always run an iron panel with the ferritin just to be on the safe side mm -hmm. and um i would say it's being extra cautious but i have had a couple patients where they were even in their teens and their iron saturation and serum iron were actually really high but their ferritin was around a 30 so they were just, their period was basically keeping them in maintenance, but they actually had iron overload going on. Yeah, I think um, I've seen this with a patient. Mm -hmm. She she has really heavy periods, but I think it's been good because I think she's got a hemochromatosis. I won't go about, I won't go into that because I'm not, I haven't no, figured no. out exactly what's going on with her, but is, is that something you may see? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that's why I call, whenever I go donate blood, I call it my menstruation. That's what keeps me in, uh, <laughs> that keeps me in maintenance. Fantastic. Um, and that's why, sorry, that's why um, in females, hemochromatosis presents usually peri or postmenopausally, like in their mid-50s. And in right, males, your mom and grandma. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Males will get our symptoms a lot earlier because uh, we don't have that, we're not bleeding out the iron to keep us in maintenance, right? I also see a lot of correlations between uh, iron and anemia with heart symptoms. Do you, mm -hmm. do you see any of that? Like I've just been listening to people's hearts more and doing a better job from a cardiovascular sort of assessment as a naturopath, because I believe that we have to get better as people are um, needing us more. Um, and I've seen this correlation. What do you do you see anything cardiovascular wise? I do for sure. I like, I definitely see a lot of low blood pressure, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. And then I see a lot of, uh, like palpitations going on, uh, tachycardia, like, or sorry, when the heart rates really increased. And, uh, my whole thing with all of that is that if iron is your oxygen supplying nutrient and your iron's really low, and it's not oxygenating the heart properly, the heart's going to kind of panic and not do its job properly on one, on one part. And then another is that the iron deficiency is uh, a huge cause of low blood pressure, which is another thing that is very um, dismissed in the Western medical system because you're not uh, as much at risk as a stroke or a heart attack. And, but the quality of life is a lot worse. So when your blood pressure is around 90 over 60, depending on your size, definitely. But when it's around 90 over 60, you can get lightheadedness on rising. You can get a lot of fatigue, brain fog. Your extremities can be cold. Um, and a lot of that stuff can decrease your energy and motivation if you're not. Well, the best way I explain it is if your iron is low and your blood is more like water, your heart isn't going to have to pump very hard to get that, to get the blood flowing. Right. Whereas when your blood is thicker, like in hemochromatosis, we all have higher blood pressure because it's harder to pump, you know, mud through a pipe right. than it would be mm -hmm. water. So then their blood pressure ends up dropping. And um, when the blood pressure drops too much, so you have to think like maybe 90 over 60, or if they're laying down for like three hours, it might drop down to like an 80 over 40 the heart is going to compensate by increasing the heart rate or by panicking and giving you palpitations, right? Right. 
And so I do find that palpitations, increased heart rate episodes usually get a lot better once the iron starts to come up and their blood pressure normalizes as well. Do you find a correlation between um, palpitations and time in the cycle at all? I have heard of that for sure, and I'm still on the fence. It's probably a combination, but I usually attribute that to magnesium and or iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. I see those heart symptoms too. Um, I don't know if you see this is in kids where, where parents say, oh, you know, Johnny has always been great at soccer or, or hockey, but we're noticing he's getting really short of breath on the yeah. ice all of a sudden. And my first question always is, well, how much milk is he drinking? Yeah. Um, and that can be, that even happens in, in kids. Oh yeah. I, I don't hold back. I test every single kid that comes in here. I test their iron. I test vitamin D, vitamin A and a CBC on almost every single pediatric patient. Mm-hmm. And I, like I've heard family doctors say they won't test until the kid's 16 years old, which I think is just outrageous. Yeah. It's such a critical time when you're I know. early in your life. I know, and I do find iron deficiency so often in these kids, especially one of the biggest signs that I didn't mention before is pale fingernail beds. That's one of the main things I look for right away. And those kids are almost always really low in their iron saturation and the ferritin. Um, And then they're like completely different kids once you start giving them iron. It's it's amazing. So we've uh, so we've talked about a few reasons, you know, menstrual cycles um, in particular, and what some of the symptoms might be of low iron. Anything else that actually on the list that that we might look for, or that our listeners might want to look out for, that are clues to uh, an issue with their iron? You yeah. mean in terms of the menstrual cycle specifically, or iron? Just iron in general. I think you did you did mention hair loss, shortness of breath, the cardiovascular. Yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. else that we've maybe not touched upon there? Uh, chronic fatigue. I have quite a few chronic fatigue patients come in where that was all that, that it was, was low iron. Uh, you mentioned shortness of breath. I have had patients think they were either out of shape or asthmatic, like they were diagnosed with asthma and iron actually like got their breathing issues completely wow. normal. Rest, did I mention restless leg syndrome? No, I was just going to actually ask you about that. Yeah, that's a big one. And that's actually personally, I experience restless leg syndrome when my iron gets too high and when it gets too low. Okay. Is that the dopamine relation? I'm not too sure. I, I kind of had a theory that when it gets too low, it could be because I'm donating too much. And when I'm not just getting rid of iron, right? I'm getting rid of the magnesium as well. Yeah. And all the nutrients that are in my blood. Um, but and then when it gets too high, I'm thinking maybe the iron is just displacing or preventing the absorption of other nutrients like uh, magnesium. Right. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure what the mechanism is there. But as soon as my ferritin goes above 175, I start to get restless leg. And if it gets like below a 50, I get it as well. And one more thing I wanted to clarify, you had mentioned is what's the correlation between vitamin D and iron? Oh, I was just more, that was more for the uh, downward spiral, that thing that we were talking about. I wasn't associated with iron. I just meant like iron, hypothyroidism, vitamin D are like the three main things that are causing low motivation and low fatigue or uh, and fatigue in my practice. Gotcha. I, I thought I'd missed a part of biochemistry no. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I find a lot of people low in vitamin D. I don't have actual stats from uh, my my patients, but I would say about 33% at least of my patients are low. And you have to pay yeah. for the test here in Ontario, which I find ridiculous because it's one of the most reliable tests. So yeah, like what do you see in terms of how many people are coming in actually low in vitamin D? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I see it all the time. I, I test almost every single patient for it. And it, it's a hard thing to predict because I have these landscaping guys who you would think would hold a lot of vitamin D from the summer. They're tanked in the winter. And then I have other people who are like, look like they've never seen the light of day before and their vitamin D is completely fine, right? So it's it's kind of all over the place, but a very high percentage are definitely low. Uh, The range is 75 to 250. And I would say the average is around 40, especially in the winter time. I'll jump in with an interesting, maybe useless fact here, but uh, vitamin D... Uh, and the absorption of, of vitamin D, which is um, dependent on sunlight, is one of the main um, sort of biochemical stressors as to why people in more northern uh, latitudes have paler skin. 
useless fact maybe but fun <laughs> you know what um, i i think is a um i think this is happening where i get a lot of patients who come over from either india or africa where they have darker skin and literally within like two months i'll test their vitamin d and it's at like an 18 so i have a feeling there's some sort of like rebound vitamin d deficiency that happens when they come here anyways are there are there ethnic um or um just a similar similarities with iron that different populations for hemochromatosis or iron deficiency more susceptibility there are with hemochromatosis for sure they say one in 200 caucasians of european descent are carriers of hemochromatosis um but in terms of the iron deficiency i'm not too sure in terms of genetics it just okay. seems to be more gender based rather than ethnicity Okay. Um, with regards to hemochromatosis and like family history, if you have it in one side of your family, are you just, you know, likely to get it or is it a little more complicated genetics than that? Yeah, it seems to be pretty complicated. And there's actually a, quite a few different types of hemochromatosis too. I believe there's like eight different types of it. Uh, there's like hemochromatosis 4A and 4B and all this stuff, which I didn't, I haven't really got into the genetic aspect of it. But um, so my mom is like a full on expressor of hemochromatosis, but my dad's never been tested. So I'm not too sure where I stand in terms of their genes. Mm -hmm. And then um, I believe I had one of the mutations. So if I had both that I would load iron a lot more, like I probably would have been in the thousands, but I just have one of the mutations. So I was in like the 500 range, but yeah, I'm, not, I'm not the strongest with the genetic aspect of all that stuff. It, but it boggles my mind. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to say something we maybe you haven't thought of, but maybe mm -hmm. you have is, is hemochromatosis a bit of adaptation to maybe anemia have you, have you ever thought of like why did the body even think of storing more iron yeah they say it was due to uh like the vikings because if they lost a bunch of blood the ones with hemochromatosis were the ones that lived through it right because they were able to generate more after they got seriously wounded right so so you're um, real you're actually a viking iron man <laughs> <laughs> yeah viking uh, iron well, man blood I'm, yeah <laughs> I think he's quite a badass being a fucking <laughs> Iron Man. Um, yeah, you, you wouldn't know some... it walking down the street, but... <laughs> but if we looked at your blood, wow. <laughs> yeah, look at my jeans and my blood. Yeah. So um, we've talked about some susceptibilities of lower iron, mainly for, for us females. What are some other reasons why, um, why people's iron might be low? Like what are some other things as you're doing your assessment and saying, okay, your iron's low. What are the, you know, as naturopaths, our question is always why? Yeah, what exactly. What are the whys that you see um, and how do you dig further into those? Yeah, I'd say the main ones for kids would be all they're eating is carbs and sugar these days. Nothing with like iron in it. Uh, and there's in the carbohydrate based food, they have, um, you know, your bran and your phytic acid. And I actually read a stat that bran actually decreases iron absorption by up to 80%, which wow. is crazy because of the phytic acid content. Um, so definitely dietary in terms of like not eating any meat at all, which brings you to the vegetarian and vegan aspect of it. <laughs> One of the things that I usually go through, I have this handout that I've emailed to you guys and, uh, in terms of the things that inhibit or decrease iron absorption, beside plant-based sources, you only absorb around 2 to 18% of the iron that is in a plant-based source, so a non-heme source. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason is because it's the non-heme means it's not bound to a protein. If you think about that, so if you were to look up spinach as an example, if spinach said it has 50% of the recommended daily intake of iron, the recommended daily intake would be, I think, 9 milligrams according to the government. So if it has 50% of that, you're getting 4.5 milligrams of iron. But if you're only absorbing less than 20% of that, you might only get 0.4 milligrams of iron. Right. And you need about 30 milligrams in a day for maintenance, right? 
whereas from the red meat or the animal-based sources, you're getting 50 to 80%. Because it's bound to a protein, which is going to get you to pump out the stomach acid to help break food down better and then therefore extract the iron out rather than just being like roughage that's passing through, right? Right. And the assumption with these RDAs is that we have the exact same sort of ability to digest and assimilate nutrients, which is, we know, not true. Yeah. And it, it really depends on like, they're they're assuming that you absorb 100% of what's in that bag or what's in that container, right? Mm-hmm. Which obviously is not going to happen. Do you see how, you know, Gut gangster here kicking in. Uh, do you see um, any sort of influence of dysbiosis or nasty bugs in the guts and how it uh, impacts iron? You know what? I, I clinically haven't, like I do run a lot of the microbiology stool profile uh, through doctor's data, but I haven't connected the specific gut bugs with uh, with an iron deficiency. With me, it, I feel like I've caught on to more of the food sensitivity type stuff. Like I've had patients taking loads of iron and as their iron's not budging at all. And then once they stop consuming wheat or dairy, then all of a sudden they start absorbing it. Um, there's that. And then correcting hypothyroidism tends to be huge. And I think that is more based on the gut as well, because everything slows down in hypothyroidism, including your digestive system, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, specifically with the, I, I'm sure there, there's tons of stuff with that, like with the parasites and different types of uh, bad bacteria in the gut. There's got to be a connection as well. Yeah, because they all they all use it like exactly. Yeah. Anything, so you know, bugs use iron too. No, I was just going to say that's one of the reasons why when when my hemochromatosis was full blown, I was getting sick all the time because bacteria thrive in an iron rich environment, right? Right. They do. Mm-hmm. And just, just to finish off, the, uh, maybe a discussion of iron in the gut is uh, even just going more simply into stomach acid. Yeah, yeah. The uh, stomach acid is a big one. So I find a lot of hypothyroid patients get low stomach acid. Zinc deficiency can cause a... Um, stomach acid deficiency or hypochlorhydria as well. Mm-hmm. And then just our society in general, like we're all, not all of us, but most of us are stuck in fight or flight mode, not in rest and digest mode. So, you know, we're all jacked up on caffeine, stressed out, anxious, and then putting food into our digestive system. Like it's, we're not going to be pumping out stomach acid in that state, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, what other things in our, you know, in our diet would would inhibit iron? So I think we, we've alluded to a couple, like um, maybe calcium or milk. Um, anything else that we want to look out for in the diet, especially at the same time or concurrently of taking an iron supplement? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's black coffee and black tea, so the tannic acid in those decrease our iron absorption big time. That was one of my instructions when I was being treated when my iron was really high was to just try to consume as much black coffee or black tea as possible, which uh, helped out when I was trying to get through CCNM. <laughs> I didn't um, even think of that. This, I took my iron supplement this morning and then picked up a Starbucks for Dave and I for, <laughs> for this morning. So uh, that probably wasn't so effective. Well, they say as soon as you add anything with protein into the black coffee or black tea, uh, the tannic acid binds to that protein rather than the protein in your intestines, right? So cool. you'll be fine if it's a mocha choco latte or whatever the heck they are. <laughs> well, I've wondered about that because I don't tolerate green tea. I want to, but I don't. Uh, or tea, even black tea. And mm-hmm. I think the tannins are really irritating to my stomach mucosa. But if I put a bit of like organic dairy in there, it must bind them uh, and sort of inactivate them. And then I can tolerate the tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, One thing I, this is kind of an aside, but I always tell patients to try to get tea from somewhere other than China and Japan. Uh, Just because if you think about all of the pollution or radiation in the soil and the air, and then we're, it's getting into the leaves and then we're steeping it and then right. drinking the residue basically, right? You're so basically they, hot water extracting. <laughs> that's right. Was, so they'll say green tea really. experts or green tea connoisseurs will steep it and then scoop the top half off and then drink it. Um, but I try to get people to get it from like Costa Rica or Sri Lanka, like go to the international section of their grocery store or whatever. Um, but then other things that will decrease the iron absorption. One 
really important one that I see all the time is uh, curcumin or turmeric. That's another one that there's tons of research on that being used as a um, alternative to phlebotomies or giving blood in wow. hemochromatosis. Yeah, because it has such a iron lowering effect. And Which I have I seen can that see some problems there, right? Because you have a patient come in or or say say somebody says, Hey, I've got lots of joint pain here, or and they're taking curcumin and we're not addressing the iron. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I literally just saw that last week in my practice. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, one of the most common supplements I see people come in with is yeah. curcumin. Yeah. And you never know, like people on that long term that could be creating an iron deficiency as well, right? So yeah. Which you don't want to be doing in elderly patients who have lots of joint pain because they're already getting iron deficient sometimes, right? Uh, uh, there's a segue yeah. into the uh, homeopathic approach, which maybe not everyone will be into, but I'm uh, sort of partial to using homeopathy in an intelligent way. You mentioned that maybe you use a remedy once in a while. Do you want to talk just briefly about it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the strongest in uh, homeopathy, but the thing that got me on this remedy, which is ferrum foss, was my intern when I was at RSNC being treated for hemochromatosis put me on ferrum foss thinking that light cures like and my ferritin and iron saturation went super high um so i started thinking maybe that'll help with somebody who's iron deficient and uh, it has helped in a couple cases where we gave or i gave iron and the saturation serum iron and the ferritin didn't budge for like a couple months so yeah ferrum foss was able to bring it bring those people up a little bit which is kind of cool um, but like I said, I don't, I don't use ferrum foss very often because I, uh, you, as you said, you have to use it intelligently and I'm, I'm not invested enough in the homeopathy to use it intelligently, I would say. I think you're doing the right thing there. Like I'm, I'm really into homeopathy, but I kind of see it as like a software approach and we yeah. still need hardware. And so if you don't have the hardware of like actual iron molecules, ferrum foss, the sort of software upgrade that makes the body maybe absorb it better, it doesn't give you the hardware. So that's sort of how I see the uh, use of homeopathy as a sort of software upgrade. Yeah, yeah, it makes so, a lot of so, sense. So, Justin, maybe what we, uh, what I'd love to go over now is, say we've done the assessment, we realize, okay, you are iron deficient, and obviously, as naturopaths with our patients, we're working at the underlying causes in the background, whether that's you know heavy periods or things in the diet. Um, or working on gut health. But, you know, you have a patient sitting in front of you and you say, okay, we need to give you iron. Can mm -hmm. you just walk us through um, iron supplements, um, how to take them, dosages, um, you know, some of the common side effects? Um, let's get like a, a, a good overview of how to supplement with iron correctly. For sure. So one of the most common things I hear as soon as I bring iron up is that they'll say, oh, I'd rather be iron deficient or I'd rather be anemic than take an iron supplement. Yeah. And that is because usually the iron supplements in the pharmacy are in the form of ferrous fumarate or ferrous gluconate, which are very harsh on the digestive system. And they tend to cause constipation, abdominal cramping, um, just abdominal or digestive discomfort in general. So usually I'll recommend patients take an iron bisglycinate. Um, I still don't know how to pronounce it properly if it's iron <laughs> bisglycinate or bisglycinate. Or yeah, what? I go with glycinate. But glycinate, <laughs> yeah. I know everybody says something different. But either way, um, and usually about 30 milligrams a day of that uh, combined with a at least 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C at the same time because vitamin C can increase your iron absorption by, uh, I believe it's up to 80% as well. Mm -hmm. And so I always get people to combine those. If they get an iron bisglycinate that has vitamin C already in it, usually it's not quite enough. They'll throw like maybe 45 milligrams in there, but I don't think that's going to do much. And then I am currently uh, on the fence because I've been giving patients the iron every single day when they need it. And uh, I retest after four months because it takes about four months for your ferritin to start to come up. Um, but somebody just showed me some research that showed that taking iron every other day is actually better than taking it daily or twice a day. But we were just I, reading that research this morning, actually. Really? Yeah. But yeah. I don't see that clinically, though. Like, I, I, 
whenever I get patients to do that, because I saw that article and I was like, you know, I, I might as well try it since that's what the research shows. And then I had all these uh, texts coming in that, can I just take it every day? I feel like crap the days I don't take it. And yeah. uh, so I'm kind of just sticking to every day and just making sure that I'm testing the um, the iron panel and the ferritin properly. I think um, that's a really good way to highlight the difference between research and clinical practice, right? Because what, yeah, what the research was showing <laughs> was that when you dose high or dose too, dose too often, or maybe even more than once a day, it's downregulating the iron absorption in the gut. And sure, you can clinically in a study show it, it it's reducing absorption, but that's not telling you how your patients are feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And maybe their ferritin's not coming up. But one of the most important things I tell patients is you do have to go based on how you feel. If you feel great, the iron's doing something positive, regardless of if the ferritin's coming up or not. And ferritin is only a judge of your iron storage. So you could be using all of that iron that you're taking and not quite storing it yet, right? Right. Right. That's um, so important. I love hearing that, Justin, because, uh, you know, when we have our, you know, lovely patients that come in and trust us to do the best we can for them, ultimately, we want them to feel better. And that's more important than some uh, research, um, although we try and integrate research into what we do. Yeah, yeah. And it's more important than what the actual lab work says as well, right? Because exactly. ferritin, one thing that we should talk about, too, is it can be elevated by inflammation. Yes. So we're not seeing a lot of these iron deficiencies because somebody is inflamed somewhere as well. And that's why running the iron panel at the same time is really important. What else may be included? Did I, like, did I cover panel? enough? Sorry, did I cover enough uh, for the iron supplementation no, aspect? No, I had just have one question for us, for us ladies. Okay. <laughs> um, do you generally, um, do you have uh, women either during their period or preemptively before their period to take a higher dose? I don't usually put them on a, on a higher dose. Uh, I have had patients instinctively do that. My, um, my thing is I just don't want them to end up, you know, being premenstrual and constipated. Like if they end up taking too much of the iron. Sure. So it's hard to know how much is too much. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm all for that as long as the patient knows that there is a risk of them having some symptoms if they do take a little bit more. Take a little bit more. Yeah. And then, sorry, another part to touch on too is that there are uh, iron bisglycinate and heme iron. And I have had some patients where heme iron, they did feel a lot better on. So, and again, with that, it seems to be unpredictable. So if somebody takes iron bisglycinate and they're not feeling any better, I'll get them to cycle on um, a heme iron instead, and sometimes they do feel better on that. Good to hear because um, I generally use the bis glycinate, like or oh, glycinate, whatever. <laughs> the bis G, <laughs> iron B G, and yeah, it's good to hear what you're saying about the heme because I just haven't used it. I've found really good results with the other one so far, but you're yeah. an expert. No, well, and heme tends to be very expensive from some companies as well, right? So, right. It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, the iron panel we should talk a little bit about for sure, I think. Yeah, let's go over that because... Um, Hemoglobin's it, not enough. Hemoglobin's right. not enough, yeah. And so <laughs> for our patients who are maybe looking at their, their iron panel or, you know, working with their naturopaths to look at, you know, all of the factors involved with iron, um, can you just walk us through kind of a layman's look at those labs yeah for sure before i start though i do i want to that naturopath naturopathic podcast shirt that says hemoglobin is not enough on it um so for for uh the proper testing to be done so there is the cbc and the cbc is the complete blood count which will tell you about your hemoglobin which is the oxygen content on the cell hematocrit, which is the amount of cells versus fluid. It tells you about your red blood cell count. And usually if those three are low, then your doctor will take you seriously. But clinically, those can be completely normal and you'll still benefit from iron. And I find that more often than not where the CBC looks completely fine, but their iron's really low and they benefit from taking it. And there's a lot of factors that can 
kind of screw up the CBC. Like if you're dehydrated, it'll falsely bring all those numbers up as well. There's a bunch of different things. Right. Um, so there's the CBC, there's the ferritin, which is your iron storage. So it's like a four month predictor of your uh, iron storage, which like I said is false. Well, I shouldn't say falsely, but it's elevated by inflammation. So if you have joint pain or you have uh, Crohn's disease or any type of inflammatory condition, your, your ferritin could be up at like 110, but that's why it's important to run the iron panel, which tells you your serum iron, so how much iron is in your blood within that 24 hours. It tells you your uh, iron saturation, which is how saturated your red blood cells are with iron or with transferrin, which is the next test. Uh, transferrin is a protein that brings iron around the, around the bloodstream. Uh, one side note with that is that transferrin is a protein, and I have seen that low in patients who aren't eating enough protein as well. So it's hard to derive transferrin. Uh -oh, vegans and vegetarians. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so once I up their protein, usually they start absorbing the iron. They are bringing in better, which won't happen with an iron supplement because the iron supplement doesn't have protein in it, right? Right. Right. And then um, there's the iron binding capacity is another important one. So if the binding capacity is, you know, medium level to high, that means you can ex your body will accept a lot more iron. But if your binding capacity is low, you probably shouldn't be taking iron because it's not going to bind anymore, right? That um, TIBC? Yeah, that's right. Total iron binding capacity. Um, so so I guess this looks a lot different than most people's uh, standard blood tests. What do you mean? I mean, you ordering this, it's, it's probably more uh, comprehensive than what they've got from their medical doctor. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I, they, like medical doctors, I, I don't think I've ever seen them test the iron panel before. So yeah, and now nowadays I always run an iron panel and ferritin. I never run ferritin on its own because there are so many times where I would send them back to get the iron panel tested uh, as a follow-up test. So I just test them both together. And that's not like outrageously priced or anything. Yeah, they're pretty reasonable. Yeah. So yeah, I, I go based on the iron uh, panel and a combination of that and the ferritin for sure. Um, so actually that just brings up, um, how, how do you, what would you suggest to our patients for, you know, they've got, they've got maybe a naturopath or maybe not, um, they're maybe working with their medical doctor. H how does that all work for you? Are you, um, are you referring back to MDs often or, or how's that kind of circle of care looking like? Uh, I only refer back to the family doctor if it's a non-menstruating female. So if it's like a postmenopausal female or a male, uh, right. ma mainly just to rule out GI bleeding, like gastrointestinal bleeding, uh, colon cancer, that type of stuff. Right. So you're uh, seeing low, low iron in people that really shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. And then the rest of it though, yeah, I, I try not to depend too much on the family doctors. So that's why I run all my own blood work. Um, yeah. I just send them directly to life labs instead of going through the family doctor and begging them to do it. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I think we all start out as naturopaths wanting to do that, but then you just run into the realities of sometimes it's just easier to send them for the do it once, do it right sort of blood test. Yeah. It's so much quicker and, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it really uh, is a good thing just to send them. It comes right to our computer. They don't have to make an appointment with their family doctor twice, like to get the rec and to get the results back. So it saves a lot of time for them. Mm -hmm. So Justin, what would you say, you know, in all the patients you work with and your personal experience, can you think of, you know, a theme or a takeaway for our listeners when it comes to iron and energy? Hemoglobin is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> T-shirts for um, sale. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the most important thing is make sure you're not going – like make sure you're not being judged based on the typical reference ranges because yeah. a lot of cases are being misdiagnosed as fatigue and depression um, when they could just be taking an iron supplement. And I would also say on top of that, don't just take iron. Get it tested first because you never know. And if mm -hmm. your iron is completely fine, which happens quite a bit, then you have to look at other avenues of what could be causing your fatigue 
and lack of motivation and all that type of stuff. Yeah, it's a, a it's a theme that runs through all our ND guests and what we do is we ask why. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You got to ask why. And there's so many different possible causes. Like iron could be contributing and somebody could feel 50% better, and which is amazing. But then it could also be like, you know, burnout or vitamin D deficiency or the thyroid. Like there's so many different pieces of the puzzle, right? Awesome. I learned a ton. Like, yeah, good. I have to assimilate that knowledge today because there's a uh, th- there was great great clinical insight both for us as clinicians and and for our listeners. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Hopefully, it helps a lot of people uh, discover their iron deficiency if they actually have one because it's a terrible way to live your life when your iron's that low. Oh yeah, yeah one thing I wanted to add was when my ferritin got down to a 35 because I did too many phlebotomies, people were asking me if I was like terminally ill at school. And uh, so I always can empathize with patients who come in and their ferritin's at like a 30. I always tell them like, you know, when I was at that point, people thought I was literally terminally ill. So I feel for you right now. <laughs> you've, you've experienced both ends of the That's spectrum. Right. It's yeah, really, yeah. it's such a... Um, you know, silver lining to you having to deal with this is that you've been able to be like the patient and then have such insight into iron. And that's why you're Iron Man. That's right. (laughs) Again, thanks so much, uh, Doc, for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Uh, Can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And I can't tell you how important iron is and how much it's going to help people who are listening. Yeah, well, my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me on. Okay. Thanks so much. We'll uh, we'll make sure we link to uh, how to find you and some of those resources that you had mentioned. All right, sounds great. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks, okay. Iron Man. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> now you have a theme song. The theme right. song. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dr. Glenn. Okay, you guys too. See ya. Bye now. All right, Dr. Kara, we just talked to Iron Man. What did you think of what he had to say? Iron Man, yeah, I loved that he is a super clinician, uh, really solid in his knowledge of iron, and that he's also experienced what it's like to have both iron deficiency and too much iron. And um, he really can bring that to both the clinical aspects of iron deficiency, but also just understanding what it's like for our patients who are walking around with uh, with not enough iron. And he's been both ends of the spectrum. So he had low iron at one time and he's had really high iron. So I think it's really a good episode for anyone to listen to who thinks they may have an iron problem of any sort. Yeah, and which is so common, especially for, um, for us women after giving birth um, and or vegans, vegetarians, there's a lot of subsets um, of our patients and and probably you listening uh, who've suffered or experienced low iron and what that causes because you just can't do the things you want to do if you don't have energy. And if you don't uh, have enough iron, you will probably lack energy and motivation to take you know action towards uh, other things that you want to improve in your health. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.